Gerard Longo. Mm -hmm. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. Of course. Does Pete Rose belong in the Hall of Fame? Absolutely. I agree 100%. 100%. What do you think of Pete Rose? You know, I mean, there's no denying his accomplishments in the game. You know, I mean, you take all the the betting and like, first of all, he bet on his team to win. Yes, he? I agree. So dude. how is that? How is that a problem? It's one thing if he's trying to throw the game like a la 1919 White Sox, you know, yeah. but he bet on his team to win. So he's going to try even harder to win the game and yeah. compete. I don't understand. And plus, there are way worse people in the Hall of Fame. Yeah. Well, you look at it. If you go through history and you really run a fine tooth comb on everybody that was in like the MLB in 1910. Yeah. They're going to be racist, like shit bags. Ty Cobb. Yeah. Ty Cobb was terrible. Yeah. And it's like, he did a lot for the game, but on the other hand, Pete Rose, he just bet on himself to win. It was like winning was not enough for him. Anymore. Right. He won the mm-hmm. world series a couple of times. He won batting titles. Was the hit King. He's like more than 4,000 hits. I love listening to old interviews with mm-hmm. Pete Rose or any interviews with Pete Rose. Like he, did a Howard Stern mm-hmm. appearance. Have you ever listened to that before? I haven't, no. It's funny because he, he comes in and he just has this smoking hot wife. And mm-hmm. she's just got these big fake tits. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, it, it's just totally what you'd imagine him to be Absolutely, like. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I wouldn't imagine anything else from Pete Rose. But yeah. as far as a ball player, Charlie Hustle, man. Like, yeah. There's no reason he should. And you know what? It's going to be a shame because he's going to go in after he passes. Like, that's what they're going to do. And I think he's even aware of that, too. It's like they don't want to give him that validation when he's alive. And he even says in in these interviews, he's like, everybody pretends to be choir boys. And he was in those locker rooms. So he knows what a lot of these guys were like and what they were up to. Yeah, yeah. And the fact that he hasn't, like, just come out with, like, a tell-all like Conseco, too. And he's just been like, you know what? He's just kind of accepted his fate in the baseball world. Which, well, he owned he owned his shit, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? He yeah. owned the fact that he did it. It took him a while to do it. And I imagine Pete Rose is a gambling addict, firstly. Mm-hmm. So he probably didn't want to admit to himself that he bet on the very thing that he loved and right. fucked up his whole life. Because mm-hmm. I, I even imagine today if Pete Rose, he, he would probably be able to be managing some MLB team. He wouldn't be away from baseball right now. Absolutely, yeah. Because he's as close as he can be right now. He still does appearances and all that shit. Mm-hmm. I also love that he signs anytime he signs like a baseball or a baseball card. He says, mm-hmm. sorry, I bet on baseball. Pete Rose. <laughs> there, there's, there's, there's nothing like owning it. And you're right. Like if LaRusso's back managing after how many years, Pete Rose. Not only that, yeah. he got a fucking DUI right before the season right. started. Yeah. Right before the season started. How old is that guy now? He's almost 80. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's old as fuck. He didn't know. The one thing I will say I don't like the new MLB rule when it goes extra innings. What do you mm-hmm. think of that? They put the runner on second. I kind of like it. You like I it? I kind of like it. I do. I do. I think it just it adds excitement. It as much as I hate the whole pace of the game thing. Like, okay, if it's the tenth, eleventh, twelfth inning, and it's like, come on, guys. Like, I don't even care if you win anymore. <laughs> you know, yeah. Just get it. Get on with it. I, I like it when it goes extra, and it, it's still just as slow as the game is. Mm. Yeah. I, I don't know. Like I kind of, I, I think it adds a little element of like extra excitement to the, uh, you know, we've got fast guys on the Cubs for now until they all walk after this year. Cause the front office is not resigning anyone like, you know, putting Javi Baez on second base, like that automatically makes it more exciting yeah. you know, to me, you know? So I, I, I do, I, I, I like it. I don't, what I don't like is the seven inning double headers. I think that cheapens the game. Yeah, I like, think so too. Absolutely cheapens it. I don't understand why COVID made that a thing, but it's it's well, it's it was silly. all shit that they've been trying to sneak in for years, right? And they're like COVID. Yeah, 
Yeah. So it gave him the excuse. Yeah. It's like, oh, well, they'll be in, you know, the players won't be social distancing for as long or whatever. So we'll, no. Nine innings, that's a baseball game. Yeah. Like, I mean, I think the Cubs had a doubleheader and we won both games against the Dodgers. I'm not going to complain. I don't want to know what would have happened in the eighth and ninth. I'll take the wins. But it does cheapen the game. How are the Cubs doing this year? I haven't been following them. Very average. Um, You know, we'll win five in a row. We'll lose six in a row. We'll win four in a row. Lose three in a row. Um, We're playing Cleveland right now as of recording, um, which, you know, a few years ago, that was a pretty popular thing we did uh, over there in Cleveland. Um, I actually had the chance to go to game four of that World Series at Wrigley, which was unbelievable. Was it amazing? Um, Yeah. So my family sent me, actually. Um, I was just going to go hang out in Wrigleyville for the weekend. Like, I'm like, I have to be in Chicago for this. Yeah. I've waited my entire life for this. Like, gotta be there. My sister, after two days of me mulling that over, I told my sister, like, look, in case you're wondering, I'm going to Chicago this weekend. She's like, all right, well, we have an idea. Call me. She, my dad, and my aunt, like, all pitched in. I, I waved a couple of years worth of Christmas presents for a rooftop ticket at Skybox on Sheffield. Game four. We got destroyed that game, but it didn't matter. I was there. Yeah. You know, and we won anyway in the end. So, but yeah, this year, I mean, it's the end of the line. I mean, these guys are going to, you know, Bryant's going to walk. He's not coming back. I don't think they're going to resign Baez. They better resign Anthony Rizzo. Like, I will I will revolt if that guy's not a cup for life. What do you think about uh, Albert Pujols being released from the Angels? Uh, you know, that – how are you going to disrespect that man like yeah, that? Yeah, I you agree. Know? And you're the Angels. You're not going anywhere. You've got no you've got no prospects for this year. You're in last place. You're probably going to stay there all year. Mike Trout's still not going to get to the playoffs. Let the man ride out his contract. Make it a farewell tour. Sell the tickets at the end of the season. Like, it's uh, that. See, and the, the thing is, like, I grew up hating Albert Pujols, obviously. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. but respecting him because he killed us every single time He's we saw him. He's a great player, him. man. Absolutely. He's one of the greatest of all time. And I would take bad Albert Pujols over good anyone else 70% of the time, even today. You know, just because of what he brings to the clubhouse. I hope the Cardinals sign him for one last game mm-hmm. and just bring him back to do an appropriate farewell for yeah. him. Because he's going into the Hall of Fame as a Cardinal. Yeah. Like, he's not going into the Hall of Fame as as an Angel. Right. Absolutely. You know, I I wouldn't mind that. I mean, you know, that's the one time I'm going to root for any the Cardinals to do anything is to bring Albert Pujols back. You yeah. Know? I mean, they're in first place right now, so I can see how maybe they don't want to bring in a 41-year-old dude who's clearly lost a few steps. But for one game or one series, yeah. you know, one series against us. Yeah. And then play him every day. And, you know, if he strikes out every time, that's fine. But at least you get that farewell. Yeah. You know? It's what he deserves. I mean, he's one of the greatest of all time. Yeah. Like, hands down. Like, there are very few people in the history of the game who can even match what that guy's done. Where is he from? Uh, the Dominican Republic, I believe. And there's some question marks on his age, right? Uh-huh. I feel like that's always been the joke is he's actually like... 53 or something like that. There was a report a couple of years ago, like that was actually starting to gain steam. And it was before COVID saying like, he might actually be two years older than he told baseball he was. So he's, he'd be 43 in this case, which I mean, still for 43 years old, the guy can still get, get it done sometimes. But that then like, it, it was this article, I forget where it even was, but it was kind of framing it in the context of if the angels want to get out of this contract, here's how they can do it. You know, he lied about his age. Therefore they're paying him for years. They didn't know they were paying for, et cetera, et cetera. Either way, man, like the guy, like for our generation right now, he's the goat. Like, well, in my he's, opinion. he's one of the last guys from our childhood too. It's him and Miguel Cabrera right now. Yeah. I don't know if there's anyone else. And Miguel Cabrera is hitting like 
he's not he's not 20 even, something yeah worse than that he's yeah. in like 100 right now yeah he had like an 0 for 27 skid yeah. like a couple weeks ago i think i mean yeah it's those two guys and you know if bartolo decides he wants to come back yeah. <laughs> which i'm always silent sexy I'm always hoping for Bartolo. Yeah. Like he, uh, yeah, I love Bartolo. I don't even care that he got busted for steroids once. He's just, he just became this lovable oaf of the game after a while. Like yeah. you can't root against him. He's ridiculous. He's played for practically every team. Too. Yeah. 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 And the Mets, my brother's a Mets fan. They had Bartolo right around the time we were facing off with them in the playoffs in 2015. And I'm just like, Bartolo is not going to beat us. And I think Bartolo might've been the starting pitcher for when they swept us in the NLCS a few yeah. years ago. I, I, I love that guy. I, I, when was the last year he pitched 18? I want to say it was definitely pre COVID. Yeah. It might've been 18 or 19. There's always these rumors and whispers that he's going to come back for one more year. Yeah. He was trying to this year. Like yeah. he was posting videos of himself pitching and like still hitting 80 something on the gun. It's like, you know, I don't see why a team like, you know, like the Mariners or one of these teams that everyone forgets exist couldn't sign him and just, you know, for a year, sell some tickets in September, you know? Who do you have in the World Series this year? You know, I, I you know, I, I, st- I still think the Cubs are going to make the playoffs in the end, but I think the one team I'm afraid of is the Padres. Really? The, yeah. Fernando Tatis Jr., man. Mm-hmm. I, I I am not afraid of the Dodgers because we did just sweep them, and we 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 always play the Dodgers tough. I don't think we have enough answers for the Padres, and you know Darvish is going to come out firing because he's going to want to get revenge. Yeah, you know, even though like he's not really that kind of guy, but anytime you play your former team, you know, you want to beat him. You know, so he's going to come out guns blazing if we see them. Um, I think Padres in the NL. I think the Padres have a good chance of taking it. I honestly do because like I'm looking at the American League right now. And it's like the Yankees just can't seem to put it all together. I'm you know? a Yankees fan, by the way. Oh, yeah? Yeah. yeah. What, what's going on there? Like, y'all have all the pieces on well, paper. I don't know. Because it's like they're really trying to push Glaber Torres hard at shortstop. Uh-huh. And I would just love it if they got rid of Gary Sanchez, traded him away, did something with Glaber. I don't know if necessarily get rid of him. Mm-hmm. And try and trade for Trevor Story at the All Star break. Yeah, because if they did that, then they are going to be the, the deadliest team for sure, at least in the AL. Oh, for sure. But their pitching is really good. Like mm-hmm. they have the lowest ERA, I think, in the American League. Yeah, their bullpen is on fire. Right uh huh. Yeah. But who knows? I mean, John Carlos Stanton is just starting to heat up now, mm-hmm. and he's all of a sudden become a singles hitter, and he's still slamming home runs yeah but him and judge you never know how long you're gonna have them before they get hurt again yeah that's the problem with that exactly and Mm -hmm. i mean aaron judge is a great player i'm curious to see i i don't think anybody's gonna get signed to like long term deals anymore Mm -hmm. like these 10-year deals we've been seeing yeah um well at least when they're like 30 plus right if they're like 25 26 they'll still get those deals yeah but i don't know it was kind of interesting because they signed DJ LeMahieu, of course, former mm-hmm. Cub. Yep. Mm-hmm. To a six year. Who's incredible. Yeah. And, you know, that's one we, that, that's definitely one that got away from us. Yeah. I was kind of hoping we'd go after him, but then the Ricketts, you know, cried poverty all offseason, but yeah. they're building stuff all around Wrigley. But yeah, LeMahieu's uh, incredible. You know, um, you guys have Voight too. Voight's over there at first base. Yeah, but he has been away because he had like a uh, knee surgery, mm-hmm. and tonight's actually his first game back. Okay. Yeah. And he's been slamming the ball in the minor leagues. Mm hmm. So I think he's going to come out ripping. He's also a big personality on the team too. So yeah. I think it's going to be big having him back. Mm-hmm. And they they did this really like weird trade 
a couple of months ago for that guy, Ruggie Odor. Do you know him? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he actually, I think he was a big part of the Yankees comeback because he's not necessarily like a great hitter all the time, but he's a clutch hitter. Yes. I think the problem that the Yankees have right now is they don't have those guys that are clutch in that moment. Mm-hmm. And Ruggie, who bats like 180 or something like that, will get like a double or a, a two-run home run or something like that when it counts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he'll punch Jose Bautista in the face. Yes. Which, that is my number one memory of him. I just remember there was a meme when that happened, and it's like, what do you do when Odor strikes, but it's Ruggie Odor yeah. punching Bautista in the face. That Oh, that Blue Jays team was obnoxious a few years ago. Oh, yeah. Like, nobody could stand them. You know, like, I did not want to. Like, I was rooting for Cleveland the whole way that postseason in 2016. Yeah. And I'm like... I want to see them in the World Series because I thought that with Lindor, you know, they had Kipnis at the time. You had uh, Kluber uh, anchoring that rotation. I'm like, Cleveland's a really exciting team. And they, they're still good, you know. Yeah. They've lost a lot, but they're still. I mean, when you lose Francisco Lindor, mm-hmm. when you trade him away. Yeah. Um, and you're still holding on, that that's pretty impressive. Yeah. Or it talks you know, it speaks to the underperformance of the Central. The White Sox haven't turned it on yet. The Royals, are the Royals still in first? Because they were for a while. I think they might be, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you got the Tigers in that division. Everyone's being up on them. We play them later this week. Yeah, so we, sw- we swept the, the Tigers. Yeah. I think they're like 9-22 and 22 the last I checked. Like, yeah. it's not. Not a good team. Yeah. I don't know what happened there. But they have Miggy, so they're going to sell tickets in September in case it's his last go-around, you know? Uh, yeah. I, I think he probably panicked whenever he saw – Albert Pujols get released. Yeah. Yeah. He's probably like, oh, shit. But the the advantage he has is the Angels aren't as far in the basement as the Tigers are. The Tigers need some reason to keep fans coming out. That's true. Yeah. Baseball still is a business at the end of the day. Yeah. You know, so like, yeah, let's say he announces his retirement June, July at the end of the year. Then there you have the farewell tour. Yeah. You know, and he's been there. He's been there forever. He was in Florida the first few years. He's been there. Yeah. And I mean, he won the World Series, I think, his first year. In 03. Yeah. Yep. Against, the, against the Yankees. Yep. Yeah. The, 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 the Bartman playoffs. Yeah. 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 Which, yeah. which I don't blame Bartman for, by the way. I blame yeah. Moises Alou. Yeah. Really? Because if Alou didn't flip out, it changed the whole mood on the field. It changed the perspective. It did. It did. Like, then Alex Gonzalez makes that error. Pryor's giving up home runs or whatever. Like it just changed, it just sucked the air out of the stadium. But it wasn't the fans' fault. I, he did what anyone else would do. Yeah, Alou should have just been like, "All right, we'll get the next one." I mean, that's what you do as a professional athlete. But yeah, Moises Alou is my least favorite Cub of all time for that reason. Damn. Yeah, least favorite. Well, I think people are going to kill us if we keep talking about baseball as much as I love talking about. Yeah, it. yeah, I could go for three hours about that, but yeah. Uh, tell me a little bit of Underground Music Collective. Mm-hmm. What was the inspiration to start it? Uh, well, let's go, let's go back. Let's go way back. It actually all started with a podcast, a podcast that still exists today called the The Quinn Spin. Spin. Yep. So I, um, I was, it was 2013. I was a few years out of college. I was working in New York in corporate America, just commuting back and forth from my parents. So two and a half hours, one way into New York, several times a week. And I just needed an outlet, you know, and I had a weekend to myself. My girlfriend at the time lived outside of Philly. So like New York, Felt like I never had any time to myself. I was always in one place or the other. And I had a rare weekend of myself. She had like a baby shower or something to go to that weekend. And I pulled out my old college radio show because I still had my old laptop. And I started listening to the episodes and like remembering how cool it was. Like, you know, we had maybe 10, 15 listeners every episode, but they were there every week. They'd always give us stuff for the show. And it just 
made me start thinking like, I want to have an impact. I don't care if it's those same 10 people. Like I want to do something that, you know, cause I'm in corporate America. I'm a spoke in the wheel, you know, like you don't feel like you're having an impact a lot of times in that situation, at least not if you're me, some people might, but I'm just like, I want to do something that people care about again, you know? And so I decide I'm going to relaunch the Quinn spin as a podcast. My radio name in college was the Quinn. Cause my brother and I started a show and just in case he said something dumb, I didn't want to use my real name. <laughs> That's where the pseudonym came from. And I'm just like, well, I might as well just, you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Just go by that, you know? And it became about music and, you know, it was my unwitting entry point into the music industry you know, because we played music back in college on the show, but we had all the major label licensing, all that. And I didn't really want to change the format that much. So I'm like, well, what if I reach out to indie artists? And what if, what if I find them on Twitter or whatever? And like, you know, we see if we can feature them, do interviews, that kind of thing. Surprising number of them said yes, even before we had an episode, which was like, all right, like, I don't know why you're saying yes to this strange man who just mes messaged you on Twitter saying, can I, you know, feature your music, but cool. And what I came to find was there's, every genre, every type of artist out there you could want to find, you know, and they're all trying to get heard and they're all hungry in one way or another. And it just became about that. We started having more and more artists reach out to us. Uh, had a bunch of co-hosts who we've recently reunited on our quarantine series, which you'll find on the Quinn spin feed as well over zoom where we're coming at it from all parts of the country. But we just, we just became this family, you know, over the course of almost two years of doing the show 87 episodes. Then I started doing like supplemental, like music hour episodes as well. And then I lasted 2013, 2014. We did a couple events. Um, 2015, it, it just uh, started appearing to me like everyone's kind of going in their different directions. I had moved out to Pennsylvania where I got a job. That's also where I went to college at Moravian College in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. You know, people, just, it just seemed to me like life was taking people in different directions. So I was like, all right, let me just kind of sit on this for a few months, figure out what I want to do with it. You know, like I want to do the show, but I want to do it right. You know, I don't want to keep spinning my wheels, you know, because there was a lot of wheels spinning. There was just a lot of like, I didn't, it was my first attempt at ever running anything that like a brand, like a, like a business eventually, you know? And I'm like, I want to figure out how to do this in a way that's going to ensure that it grows, you know, at a sustainable level, you know, and in Bethlehem, about an hour north of Philly, there's a, there's a local music scene. And I'm like, all right, what if the show is just a piece of content in this larger ecosystem, right? You know, a greater part of the whole. And so it's the Lehigh Valley region of Pennsylvania. And I'm like, well, what if I call it Lehigh Valley Underground, you know, then that's the blog that I would then launch at the beginning of 2016. Um, and that thing grew pretty well locally, pretty quickly. Um, you know, more and more artists finding out about it. You know, we had more media partnership opportunities with local festivals, that kind of thing start to arise in our first year. Uh, music Fest is the big festival up there. It's the largest free outdoor music festival in the country. I actually had the privilege of working for ArtsQuest, who puts it on for a few years. And so through 2016... 2017 into 2018, like Lehigh Valley Underground, its presence is growing. You know, we're doing more and more events. We have more and more partnerships around the Bethlehem Allentown area. And that was all well and good, except what I started to realize amid a bunch of other life changes, the relationship I mentioned ended in this time. My mom had passed before 
before I even started the blog, you know, there was a lot of just life stuff that I needed to sort out. Yeah. And that's a lot of shit that'll make you realize who you are pretty quickly. Yeah. 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 And it, it did. And it made me just uh, mid 2018. I pumped the brakes. I, I did. I, I went to a wedding in Charleston, South Carolina. My friends actually who got married lived already lived here in Nashville. And that just kind of made me start thinking like, who do I want to be? Where do I want to go? You know, what do I want my life to look like? Who are the types of people I want in it? Right. And I started to realize that to get to where I wanted to be, to build the platform I wanted to build, I needed to go somewhere where the industry was, you know, I, I, you know, and it's not just to build a platform, but it's to, you know, not just live paycheck to paycheck anymore in some shithole apartment and, you know, just kind of do it for the, for the good of the community. I mean, that's all well and good. And I love my community back home. I love my community here, but I wanted to build something that would become sustainable. That would become something that, you know, was ultimately fulfilling and that would help me have the impact I wanted to have and live the life I wanted to live, you know, and be who I needed to be in any, ro in any role in my life. You know, I started thinking a lot about my nieces and nephew at the time. And like, you know, I feel more able to show up for them now in Nashville, although I'm fast forwarding a little bit, but so mid 2018, the wheels start turning. Where am I going to go? When, where am I going to go? And my friends who had gotten married in Charleston, they came up to visit for a weekend and I kind of told them, you know, I, I was set on New York. I was set on actually going back to New York because it was closer, you know, and it was like the closest industry town to me. But I, I told them, like, I'm going to make a move. You know, we went out to dinner, spent like four hours together. I wasn't sure what the move was. I just told them that I was going to make one. Two days later, they start messaging me like, hey, have you thought about moving to Nashville? And they're like, we're buying a house. We need a roommate. You should move here. And it just started lining up and making sense. I started applying to jobs. The day I started applying to jobs in Nashville, I started hearing back from them. New York, I was trying for weeks and was barely getting any bites. So I'm like, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to double down. I'm going to go to Nashville. That was beginning of September of 2018. Fast forward a few months by the Monday after Thanksgiving, I lived here. I moved in with them. I had a $11 an hour security job at the Grand Ole Opry. And I was driving Lyft and I'm like, that's enough to get me there. And then I'm going to figure it out. Would end up getting a corporate job here, saving money. We'll get to that part of the story. But in the meantime, I had rebranded because obviously I'm not local to the Lehigh Valley anymore. So it's like, how can I make this more all encompassing, but not abandon the folks back home, you know, because like, obviously I want to feature their art, but I also want to broaden this and I want this to be bigger. <laughs> you know, I want this to be something that can connect people to more opportunities, including the folks back home. So underground music collective was the name that popped into my mind. And I'm just like, okay, well it's, you know, it's taking the foundation, it's taking the reviews and features and all this content we're pumping out, but broadening it, connecting it to the industry, you know, throwing in some educational resources here and there, which we'll of course talk about a little later on the show as well. And just, you know, it helped me get educated upon moving here, you know, because there's so much, there are so many resources here, so many people to know so much that you're exposed to living in a place like Nashville that most small markets or even non-industry cities in the country, like you're just not going to have those types of resources and opportunities. Well, everything is here because the industry is based out of here. And it's yeah. like, I never really want to be a part necessarily of the music music industry. I just want to do my own thing. Right. And it's like, I can bottom feed off of all the resources that are here. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, no matter, 
no matter what you want to learn, there's a way to learn it here, you know? And for me, that was really powerful. And I also, you know, I had the opportunity to run into a lot of people who are similar mindset, you know, who were really focused on incrementally improving what they're doing and finding new ways, you know, to, to reach and impact and share whatever their platform is, you know, whether it's the music itself, whether it's whatever their role is, you know, whatever they've carved out for themselves in the, the industry, I found a lot of like mindedness here, you know, so I got a corporate job, you know, which I was doing technical writing for an insurance company for a couple of years, 2019 through 2020. And all the time, you know, all the while, like, I'm building those relationships here in town. I'm pumping out more con content. I restarted the Quinn Spin as an interview series. So I was just doing it monthly in the beginning of, upon coming here. And, you know, it, it started to grow more and more. More and more people in Nashville seem to be becoming aware of UMC to where, you know, by the beginning of 2020, I was thinking, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to take the leap at the end of the year. I'm going to save my money. I'm going to try to take the leap beginning of 2021, right? Pandemic happens which threw us all for a loop, right? Yeah, like none absolutely. of us knew what to do. No, especially you know? in the beginning, it seemed like everybody was going to die. Yeah. Yeah. Like I was like, should it, to us. Yeah. Like, should I go outside of my house right now? Yeah. Like apparently this thing is everywhere. And I think we understand COVID a lot better now. You know, I think there's a lot less fear around it. I mean, precautions, of course, you know, never want to, you know, belittle what's happened here in the no, world for sure i know what you mean though you know but like i think we understand it better we know the common sense steps we can take you know but at first yeah like those first few weeks nobody knew what to do yeah. like at all and i count me among them i was working from home and i'm like thank god i have this steady stable job right now because a lot of people in the industry had nothing it was all ripped away within a matter of days oh, yeah. you know I, I don't know what your experience was with that but I, yeah no I, I mean it was uh it was interesting because uh, Millhouse and I were living over in East Nashville at the time. Mm -hmm. We're in kind of a bad living situation that we were planning on getting out of. And then COVID hit. Yeah. And I was driving for Uber and Lyft. That's what I, what I do. Mm -hmm. And um, working at like a radio station part time just as they needed me. And they were luckily giving me hours and yeah. finding things for me to do. Cause they understood what the situation was. So I didn't want to drive rideshare back then. Cause I'm like, Holy shit. Like people in your car, you don't know where yeah. they've been. Yeah. And it, mm -hmm. eventually I got over it. Like after a month and a half, two months, I was like, I need to get back, back out there. Yeah. But it's like, in terms of the music stuff and the podcasts and all of that, I, I really took a break for the first time in my twenties. Mm -hmm. I never like taken a break. Right. And really appreciated the fact that I'm in Nashville and all that shit. Cause I was just like working, 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 you mm -hmm. know, when I, when I have the opportunity to work, I don't ever want to say no, no matter right. what it is usually. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Cause you never know where it's going to lead to. And not only that, I just want to better myself right. constantly Yeah. Mm -hmm. and add something under my belt. So really wasn't until like, like a little bit into the pandemic where I was trying to start to do things, but it's like everything I tried to do whether it was producing Josh Norfleet or any of that just would fall apart because someone would get COVID. Mm -hmm. No one wanted to be together in the same room. Yep, yep. And it's like, I understand it. You know, like I got it. Millhouse got it. So every time we went to go start to do something, all the momentum that we had just gained mm -hmm. would be shut down. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Cause you, there's, and it, it, everybody has a valid reason for the COVID thing, but also 
people love to use COVID as an excuse now. I mean, yeah, yeah. There's definitely, I, I feel like oh, this might be a, con- say it, say it. This Just might be it. a controversial comment, but I feel like in, in some respects, people are kind of trying to hang on to it because they've enjoyed this introversion, you oh, know, yeah. like, and I, I understand it to a degree because it's like, I'm way more socially awkward now than I was a year, year and a half ago. You know what I mean? Like being in group situations, I'm like, how did I used to do this regularly? I'm also older now, you know? So that's, that's it too. I think your tolerance for large groups goes down as you get, as you age. At least that's what I found. But like I found in the beginning, like what you said, like there was just like, just a stop start nature of it. Like, uh, you know, there was such, there was a cautious optimism in some times where it's like, okay, we're getting to the end. And then all of a sudden there'd be a spike and okay, we're getting it. It's, it's shutting down again, you yeah. know? But I think to another one of your points, like, yeah, like there was little time for a break, you know, like this city when it's rolling on all cylinders and we're about to see it again as of Friday is go, 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 go. Like there's always a show to go to, always a meeting, always a networking thing. This was the first time since I had moved here that I had to slow down. Yeah. And it's like, at first, it's like, what do I do? You know, like there's this anxiety around it, this trepidation. Like, I'm not used to having this much downtime. It made me feel irresponsible to have downtime. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I always feel like I have to be doing. Yeah. You know, and that's the thing. Like, but after a few weeks, I was like, this is an opportunity to find what I actually want this thing to be here. Cause I don't know that I'd done that yet. You know, I was so busy working this corporate job and then just going over to home, helping our music evolve where I'm a member and just writing blog posts until I'm ready to drop and then go to bed and do it all again. The next day, that was the first year and a half of my existence here. Now it's like, all right, like I have this chance to slow down. I don't always have these things to go to these things to do how can we support the community? Number one, because there are a lot of people hurting. I still had the full-time job. We started a keep the music playing campaign where I got shirts made that said, keep the music playing on them, just black with white print and all profits from those. I donated to a local venue, any ones we sold during the course of that campaign. And we started doing a lot of virtual like over zoom or Instagram live, very primitive, like live stream, like shows, performances for lack of a better term. And after a while, I got really tired of the terrible quality of Zoom and Instagram audio. And down at home, Logan Crowell, who's the founder, recruited me and Case and Pratt to be part of the live stream team they were starting. Um, they always had the capability to do live streaming down there. They, but obviously with COVID, once they were able to reopen after the initial shutdown, you know, it became this thing of like, you know, okay, well, what are we going to do with this? It's the time to lean into it. And so... You know, we we started just kind of tinkering with it. We started bringing people in for live streams and it became our Live from the 615 program where we're now at a point where we're putting on weekly live streams, ticketed hybrid shows, virtual and in-person tickets every single week down at home, at least one a week, if not more. Um, and, you know, it, it's an opportunity that that I realized wouldn't have come if it weren't for COVID. And I think there are a lot of silver linings like that, you know? Absolutely. 100%. Yeah. I found that you can really embrace the situation to Mm -hmm. make it better. Cause yeah, you can be as mad as you want. The fact that COVID was happening. Yeah. But I had a pretty quick acceptance of it. Yeah. After the initial fear Mm -hmm. was gone for me and I'm just like, fuck it. I'm just going to do whatever and see what happens. Then I was like, how can I embrace the Mm -hmm. fact that 
this situation, a lot of people aren't making moves. What can I do to just like better myself as an individual? Absolutely. So that's where it started for me. And then, you know, as things started ramping up in January, we were just pumping out podcasts because mm-hmm. at the time we were doing this show. And then also the other show I did, which is Man of Science, Man of Faith, mm-hmm. which is on hiatus right now. Now that things are opening back up and getting busier again. But I just found stuff to keep me busy that whole time. Mm-hmm. And I started writing music again, which I didn't really write all that much. Mm-hmm. Um, I had really gotten away from it because I had my first big batch of songs when I was like 20, 21. Mm-hmm. You know, and you're just writing. At, at that phase of my life, it was just about like... You know, smoking weed all the time and going mm-hmm. out trying to get laid, all, all that shit. 21-year-old stuff. Yeah, 21-year-old yeah. stuff, exactly. <laughs> and I think without the COVID happening, it, it wouldn't have allowed me to like go deeper into myself mm-hmm. and figure out, okay, now I don't really write about that stuff anymore because that's all shit from when I was that age. Mm-hmm. You know? Right, yeah. And that's the thing. It's that introspection, the opportunity for the introspection, the opportunity for where, you know, to discover where do I fit in all this, you know, and how can I fit better into all this, you know, like there's so like life from the 615 is just one thing that I don't think would have ever existed if it weren't for COVID, you know, but also just the opportunity to really get real with myself and what do I want, you know, coming into 2020, I was feeling a little burnt out, you know, and I was feeling like, well, you know, maybe I'll just do this as a hobby forever until, you know, until the day comes where I have to choose between a day job or that. And then when I was left with my day job and my night job and really nothing else going on, it's like, well, which of these do I like better? Which of these do I really want to pursue? And I realized it wasn't the corporate gig. It was the stuff that I've been doing at that point for going on seven years, now going on eight years. And by the end of 2020, it's like, I'm sticking to that goal. I am taking the leap at the beginning of 2021 because the opportunity's ripe for it, you know? And I had learned so much about myself. I had learned so much about how to lean into building this digital platform here in Nashville and making it have more impact and influence. I'm like, I'd be a fool not to at least see where this thing can take me right now, you know? And granted, there are always lessons to learn from that. I'm learning them every day. I made the jump January 1st. And let me tell you, it's the most challenging thing I've ever done over the past four and a half months, but that's because I feel like I'm doing it better than I've tried to do it before in the sense that like, I understand this isn't a cakewalk. I understand that there's always going to be challenge and I'm looking for ways to respond to those challenges. You know, when you go all in, Mm -hmm. you get busier, but more problems come up because you get busier and you face all these things that never happened before. Oh yeah, absolutely. Like just because of the the mere fact that you made that leap and you're like, okay, this is what I'm doing. And you're putting all your time into it. Mm -hmm. The ball drops in some places just because you're new to the game. Absolutely. Absolutely. And certainly over the course of COVID, like we started getting more and more submissions from artists because Nobody had anything else to do but write and record and submit music to media, you know? So start getting more and more of those. And like, as the live stream opportunities come up and more people learn about live from the 615, more people want to play live from the 615. Now we have in-person events starting up. You know, of course, people, you know, are still reaching out about the Quinn Spin. Like my inbox, my submission inbox is a horror show right now. 90% of emails aren't even getting open because there are just so many coming in and that's just on the content end. But then there's like the business opportunity end, right? There's the building relationships, networking, you know, finding ways to 
fit into the larger community and engage them. Like, yeah, the more you take on, the more challenges, the more problems are going to arise, but also the more you're going to learn, the more solutions are exactly. going to Exactly. And it, there are problems that you want to have versus problems you don't want to have. Exactly. Like problems you don't want to have are the, the corporate bullshit nine to five shit. Yeah, you know? absolutely. It all, I, I tell people this all the time. Cause you know, I have friends who work in any industry, you know, all over the country. And it's just like, it all just comes down to the type of crazy you're willing to deal with. You know, if your type of crazy is the stable job, but you have to deal with all the red tape and all the politicking in the office and this, that, and the other thing, then more power to you. If you're happy with your life, at least outside of that environment, awesome. You know, for us, for us creative types, like we thrive off of chaos, I feel. Yeah, you know? I it, absolutely do. There was there was a part of me, and I know COVID was a bad situation. There was people that died, all of that. There yeah. was a part of me that really enjoyed everything that happened. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I felt like, uh, you know, did you see The Joker? No, no. The one with Joaquin Phoenix? Yeah. No, no. You got to see it because that's 2020, the movie, dude. Mm -hmm. It's just like everything that fucking happened. Milhouse yeah. saw it. Yeah. He, know, he knows all yeah. about it. Mm -hmm. But I didn't really, I wasn't intimidated by all the shit that was happening mm -hmm. because we have human history to look at. This yeah. is just the cycle. We're, we're living in a very sanitized, safe world now, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which is not a bad thing, but people are soft today. We've never dealt with, we had a universal worldwide moment, except for Jeff Bezos, where no one really knew what was going on. Right. You know, mm -hmm. like he, he was someone who clearly benefited from it, but everybody else doesn't matter if you were the richest person in this country or the poorest person in this country or mm -hmm. the world for that matter. Like you got affected by COVID. Absolutely. Yeah. There's no way to avoid it. It was mm -hmm. a universal moment mm -hmm. in a disconnected, interconnected world. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think, I think it exposed a lot of truth about society. It exposed a lot of truth about us. Human nature, for Human sure. Human nature. Yeah, a lot of things came out of the woodwork about people. Good, bad, bowling shoe ugly, as I like to say. Like, we understand each other better for, you know, warts and all, I think, coming into 2021. Well, I feel like there's also this element that people don't want to acknowledge it, too. Mm -hmm. You know, we, we look back, like, America, it reared its ugly head everything that was bad about it and i love this country mm -hmm. i absolutely love america all that shit but everything that was bad about us or the shit that we hadn't dealt with the trauma that we haven't mm -hmm. dealt with yeah came to the surface and, and there was no fucking avoiding it because everyone was poor mm -hmm. they were out of work and they were mad yeah yeah and i think trauma is a good word because it really is in a lot of cases a multi-generational trauma yeah you know things that were just accepted as status quo in society that came to light as not actually being okay. Yeah. You know, I mean, you see that happen, you know, a microcosm of that is within family dynamics, you know, like some families like have a lot of messed up stuff. That's just been like accepted as normal, you know, multi-generational gaslighting <laughs> that takes place within certain family dynamics where it's just like, Oh, well, uh, you know, nobody ever really stretches beyond the palace walls. And if you do, we're going to be ostracized, whatever the palace walls are in that context could be something religious, could be something political, a lifestyle choice, you know, yeah. or not choice as it were, you know, but that's the thing is like, we're realizing that these things aren't just at the micro, they're at the macro level. And that's the thing that I think we're challenged with going forward, coming out of this. 
that I hope we don't forget. Although, you know, judging from how Broadway looks right about now, I'm not confident that, you know, it's not going to be in the rear view pretty quick, is that we still have work to do. We'll always have work to do, but now we have a much better idea of what that work is. Yeah. Yeah, and it's really a situation of who knows what's going to happen at this point. Because as soon as people can go back to whatever their comfort level is, mm-hmm. they're, they're going to retreat to that. Because again, that's that's human nature. You know, we, we the, the ugliness of human nature is that the world doesn't care. Mm-hmm. The world does not care about you. Right. It never will. Mm-hmm. And you have to make your own morals because society, whatever, civilization, there's this great Queens of the Stone Age lyric that's... Uh, to be civilized, one must tell civil lies. Mm-hmm. And I really think that we saw that in 2020 because this idea that we have that we're, we're like a society and all this shit. Yeah, to an extent, but the wheels come off. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And shit got real. And that that was the aspect that I like is that we had to look at it. We couldn't look away at just yeah. the, whatever it is, whatever number of things that 2020 had for us. Yeah. And that's where growth comes from, right? Is yeah. that struggle? Is Absolutely. that challenge? It doesn't come when everything's all hunky dory and you're riding down down the street on a bike on a beautiful day in you know, in uh, Newport Beach, California, or whatever. You know? It happens <laughs> when you have you find out who you are when you have that flat tire, yeah. and you're in the pouring rain. Mm-hmm. Your cell phone found fell down a drain. Yeah, that's the shit that that really builds character. Yeah, where you're left to just figure it out. You know, and I think as creative people, if we've been in this game long enough, like we know, we know what that's like through our own experiences, through our own trials. I mean, we take unconventional paths and those are the paths that often, you know, depending on your family circumstance and background, like aren't accepted, aren't met with that kind of acceptance. And a lot of times you're left to figure it out on your own. Oh yeah. You you know, and you're going to stumble. You're going to, you know how many mistakes I've made (laughs) over the past eight years Oh yeah. since I started this podcast, man, like. I have screwed up epically. Like this is my third attempt really at, at, at launching this business. It's yeah. already failed twice, you know? No, I, and that, that's what the reward is. I almost think I love when it goes right back to zero mm-hmm. and you have to start completely over. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You have to build up. Cause that, that's, that's what life is. There, yeah. there, there's no fucking avoiding it. So at, at a certain age, I think, uh, I just started to embrace it because my dad, he always said to me growing up, like it builds character, it builds character. He just mm-hmm. really drove that into me. Yeah. And I grew up in Maine, so it was a snowy hellhole of a place. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And I remember getting like a flat tire in February. Oh, in Maine. In Maine. It was horrible. And I remember just freaking out, all that shit. My dad said it builds character. And next time I got a flat tire, it was like a couple months later, I said, it builds character. Mm-hmm. And he said, you have character now. Now you're gaining experience. And it's just like that Mr. Miyagi thing of it, of it never fucking ends. Yeah. You know? mm-hmm. The Absolutely. journey never ends. Yeah. But you're better equipped to handle it. You yeah. Know? Like when I was thinking about taking this leap, you know, pretty much from all, all the second half of 2020, I'm like, I'm eyeing up the beginning of the year to make to make this jump. And it's like... I kept having the fear creep in from when I was in Pennsylvania and I'm living paycheck to paycheck and it's so hard to find work. It's so hard to just pay the bills, you know? And, you know, I'm like, to a degree, you know, the second half of last year, I waited so long because I was afraid of going back there. But then as we got into the fourth quarter of 2020, it's like, well, I've already survived it once. Yeah. When I moved here, 
I mean, you know, I, I told the warm and fuzzy side of the story, but honestly, I was broke. I had $460 in my bank account, whatever would fit my car, the lift sticker on my car and an $11 an hour job waiting for me. It was a Hail Mary. It was the biggest Hail Mary I've ever thrown. And somehow to this point, it's worked. If I can do that, <clears throat> excuse me, Aqualung, if I can do that, then what, what, what's, what's wrong with taking this shot? What's yeah. wrong with seeing what I have? I'm just a guy trying a thing at the end of the day. I'm sure I have things to learn. I'm sure I have, I'll have things that'll come up lessons and, you know, some learn the hard way here in the future. No matter what, I'm a guy trying a thing and no matter what, I'll make it work. And that's the thing you learn by getting knocked around. You get back up and you keep going, like whatever you do, don't give up. Because if you give up, then you're not going to have the chance to apply that lesson later and do better. You know, I, I hate it when I see people just like, oh, well, I moved to Nashville and I didn't get famous in a year, so I'm moving back, you know? Oh, yeah. Well, you see that and you also see people come into town on a blaze of glory and uh -huh. they're hot for their first six months uh -huh. and they just skyrocket and fall down because mm -hmm. they face those times that we all face mm -hmm. in a career, whenever, whatever you're trying to do, I yeah. think it's applicable to anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and coming out of the gate hot, I think is the worst thing that you can really do. Yeah. I'm, I'm a slow burn kind of guy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm in it for the long haul. Yeah. I, I made a point when I got here to not come out of the gate hot. Yeah. I'm like, I'm going to sit back and learn. Cause I don't know shit about this industry at the end of the day. When I came here, I'm like, I don't know anything. I don't even know if my blog is good enough for this town. I'm going to sit back and listen and learn and just meet people and kind of see what the ecosystem is. The like-mindedness helped because it made me come out of that shell a little bit, but I'm not, I'm not going to come into this town being like, well, I won three Lehigh Valley Music Awards. Let me tell you, because it's the people who do that and aren't adored for it that get down on themselves. Crash, crash and burn, man. Yeah. I mean, there's so many hot players and great writers that come here mm -hmm. and they're able to, they fall on their ass too, because they're the best at their hometown, which is which is what's great about Nashville. Everybody's yeah. here is good at wherever they're from. Right. But all of a sudden, you're surrounded by all these people who are also the best at wherever they're from. Exactly. And they have the pedigree and they have the background yeah. and they slayed it back at home. Mm -hmm. And then they decided to take that leap and move to Nashville. Exactly. And at that point, it's about well, what are you going to do, not what you've done. It's just like, you know, if you come here bragging about the local awards you've won or whatever, it's like wearing your varsity jacket to the first day of college. You know what I mean? Yeah, like totally. Nobody cares. Nobody cares. What are you doing now? What are you doing to get better now? That prepped you for battle to get to the point to where you could do that. Exactly. And there's value in that, certainly. 100%. Like, if, I, you know, if I didn't teach myself photography in Pennsylvania, if I didn't like do all this stuff before, before leading here, I would have been completely unprepared to be in Nashville and to be doing what I'm doing now. Like there's absolutely value in that journey, but it comes to a point where it's like, all right, like it's like going back to baseball, getting called up to the majors all of a sudden. Yeah. It's like you could have hit 330 in AAA, but this is the big leagues now and you got to bring it every single day, you know? And I think another trap that people fall into too is like they kind of lose themselves in it because they're on the other end, they're trying to impress people you know they're trying to kind of shine up and people please and they lose themselves they kind of lose their art artistic vision a lot of the time too you know somebody kind of comes in and tells them well it needs to be this and then they go and they do something absolutely that's not authentic to them they do it for a couple of years they get burned out of it and at that point they either go home or they're like okay now i'm gonna start doing my thing yeah you know but 
Yeah, there, there's. I, I think there are multiple sides to it, and to coming here, and just to just keeping everything in perspective, where like you're able to keep yourself, you're able to maintain your vision. That vision's going to evolve. It's going to change the more you learn and the more that you grow. But to make sure it's always authentically you, I think is the most important thing because no matter what, like people are going to resonate with that, and there's going to be an audience for what you do. There's going to be something that people can connect with in your real story that they're never going to forget. And that's the thing I would encourage any artist, any content creator, anybody coming to this town is like, you're going to get a lot of opinions. You're going to get a lot of feedback and you need to just learn how to filter that. Some of it's very good and very useful and is going to inform your journey forward. Some of it is fucking horrible. And yes, some of it is absolutely terrible and you should run the other way, you know, but it's up to you to, learn how to filter that. And the only way to learn how to filter that is to receive the feedback, try it, trial and error and see where it takes you. After being in Nashville for a little while, I've I've been here for almost six years now. I've noticed that there is an archetype among musicians. Mm -hmm. There are people that I think are like the true artist, real deal people like Josh Norfleet or, uh, Isaac short from the weird sisters. Mm -hmm. Um, and then there's all these other people there. There's like what I like to call the, the pirate, you know, mm-hmm. which is the, the older musician, the crusty musician who's been around, you, you know, I'm imagine the eye patch and the peg leg. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but they're the ones that are, that are like, they're grizzled. They're grizzled. They're cutthroat when they need to be. Mm-hmm. They're looking to advance themselves. Not that that's a, a bad thing. Right. But they understand a different aspect of, of the hustle. There and they're is, a little jaded. They're yeah, a little, a little jaded. jaded. Yeah. Exactly. Because they've been around the block. Mm-hmm. And they know the real deal when they see it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Then there's the weasel, which are the people who, someone that we know well, uh, someone that, that comes uh, comes in and just tries to latch on to uh-huh. whatever it is you're doing. Mm-hmm. And they have no value to provide. Right, right. They, they take, 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 and you know, never really give. They, yeah. they don't, they don't reciprocate. They're not part, they're not in it to be part of a community. They're in it to see how far can I get? Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Other thing I've seen is, you know, you could call them groupies. You can call them whatever you want. I, I think the, the vixen, mm-hmm. that's what I think of when I think of like the chick who is always hanging around the bands mm-hmm. and trying to latch on to some dude. This is not PC to say, by the way. This is nature at work. It's ugly. Um, and I've just seen so many different people. And th- there's a dude version of that too. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. Um, but it's just interesting to kind of watch because you see people get into relationships because they think it's going to help their career. Uh-huh. Yeah. You know, ugly shit like that. Yeah. And it's just shit that no one wants to talk about. But we are not immune to the natural world. Right. We want to pretend that we are on so many different levels. Mm-hmm. But everybody's always looking for something out there. And I think Uh you just have to approach it with a level of authenticity of this is what I want. Yeah. And I'm not going to sacrifice Mm -hmm. uh, anything outside of whatever my vision is. Yeah. Yeah. But I think also it's important to assess, well, how can I, how can I do that while also doing right by people? 
Also making sure that everyone around me is better for the encounter as much as possible. And look, that's never going to happen 100% of the time. No. You're going to have disagreements. You're going to have falling doubt. You know, not every single relationship, partnership, whatever is going to work. If you've lived on this earth for a few years, you probably know that already, right? But, you know, it's like, how can I, how can I maintain my vision and the integrity of that vision, the integrity of who I am, while also making sure that, I'm not just leaving a trail of dead behind me, so yeah. to speak. That I'm because there's people who do that too. Oh yeah, absolutely. Where they will knife you the first chance that they get to mm-hmm. get just an inch ahead. Right, right, yeah. And that's the thing is like through Underground Music Collective, like I want to make sure that whatever we do, you know, that rising tide raises the all boats, as, as the cliche goes. Right, where you know, yeah, obviously, I want Underground Music Collective to grow as big as it can go. I want to have multiple underground music collectives in Nashville and LA and Austin and wherever, but that's not going to be something that happens at the expense of the artist, you know? And when I say at the expense of the artist, like I'm not going to go around. We've seen that time and time again. Exactly. You know, like, you know, I, I don't want to be the, I, I just don't want that on my conscience. Number one, you know, I want to be able to build a platform that, okay, yeah, it's going to help build the platform, but it's also going to help them. Well, there's also, going back to the archetypes, there's another one, the Predator, mm-hmm. who are musicians among you and or other creative types among you, and they are trying to get you to give them money for they might know a little bit more than you, mm-hmm. but they're telling you like what to do with your, with your shit, you know, and they're not really making any suggestions. Right. They're just trying, again, it's the same thing of like, maybe this person's going to be successful. So they want to latch onto it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. You definitely see that too. I think, I I think when it comes to, you know, feedback and advice, you know, it, it all depends the intention and you know, the place that it's coming from. 100%. And as you, as you, as you move forward in this industry, in any industry, really, especially on the creative side, you just get a sixth sense about that. Like this person's actually trying to help me versus you can start to really smell it. Yeah, absolutely. Like I I've been doing this long enough in one form or another from the beginning of the Quinn spin on to where like, it is like a sixth sense. It's like, yeah, I know this person's right off the bat trying to screw me and I'm not going to let them get, get there, yeah. you know, because it happens, you know, it absolutely happens. And people, oh, yeah. I mean, people think I'm younger than I am sometimes. And they're like, Oh, this guy, you know, look at this new thing he's doing. Watch this. I'm going to, you know, sink my teeth. I'm going to sink my teeth into this. And it's like, dude, I'm 34. Like you look close enough. There's gray here. Yeah. Like <laughs> I've been doing this a while. I'm a young 34, but I've been around the block. And that's the thing is like, you know, but it is a double-edged sword of like, you learn that by getting taken advantage of. You learn that. 100%. Yeah, you know? no, I, I think it's important to have those situations too. Because again, if you if you just come in on a blaze of glory and you're able to fly high for the first six months mm-hmm. and you meet that first person to yeah that'll sink their teeth in, knife mm-hmm. you when, when you need them the most, mm-hmm. it, it's just so important to create, I think, an encouraging environment here in Nashville. And I'd say that we have one. But you also have to have your uh, your wits about you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Can I provide one more archetype? Yes. The big things coming troll. The person that always posts how big oh, things are yeah. coming. Yeah. And then you never hear what the big thing was. <laughs> yeah. Because it wasn't that. Also, making moves, working with legends. 
Like, that's the thing. It's like, I, I rarely use my personal social media to talk about what's upcoming anymore. Cause I don't want people to think I'm full of shit. Yeah. Cause there've been so many people who say, Oh, big things coming. I just did this awesome thing. Can't wait to tell you about three months later. You still haven't heard about it. Well, it's the other thing that happens too is who knows whatever you're working on is going to see the light of day. Right. Exactly. And it's exciting when it happens, yeah. but you learn at a certain point just to not say anything. Cause oh, you're yeah. like, I don't know if this is even going to happen. Yeah. It, like, it's majorly just counting your chickens a lot yeah. of the time, you know, where it's like, you know, a, a lot of people, I think when they're starting out, like they have one exciting conversation that should be the first in many conversations about a particular big thing coming quote unquote yeah. air quotes for those listening to this. And then the second conversation never happens or there was this miscommunication the whole time and all of a sudden you don't really have anything to show for that. You know, like I, I've really, you know, I've really come to appreciate the phrase G's move in silence lately because that's the thing is like, you don't, you don't count those chickens before they hatch. You plan, you take your time, you make sure the details are accounted for, then you announce whatever it is when it already is well on its way to existing. You know, if you're a musician and you had a chance to collaborate with somebody and then the song is being released, well then release it and so-and-so played on it. Pump it, it up. Yeah. Instead of being like, oh, somebody may, maybe possibly is going to play on my next single and then it never happens. You know, like there's, there's a certain level of tact and a certain level of, okay, the time is now to roll this out that you learn really through experience. Yeah, for sure. And I think for me being able to, to take a look back now, cause I'm, I'm 29. Mm -hmm. I would probably say it was like 26, 27 when I was able to draw from all the shitty experiences that you go through in your early twenties mm -hmm. and falling on your ass is the first time you experience anything. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, to really be like, okay, do this, don't do this. Uh -huh. And you have that again, it's, it's a, a detector that you, you develop and hone. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and you know, it's interesting you say that your first time really experiencing anything because let's be real. High school, college, they do not prepare you for the real world. No. Whatsoever. College is a fantasy land. Like, and I thought when I was in college, I'm such an adult. Look at me living on my own in a dorm that my student loans are paying for. You know, my meal plan that, you know, my student loans are also paying for. You get out here and you get kicked in the teeth nine times out of ten. Yeah. And then it's all a matter of how do you respond to that? Like, Well, you get to a point where, ironically, the only thing you can afford is a payday. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You get, and you're like, okay, I'm going to get that and a cherry Coke. And that's, that's my meal for the day. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. I can't tell you how many times free before the Quinn spin, like freelancing, you're doing like going to like zoning board meetings in Northern New Jersey, like how much fast food I ate, how much like, and I'm still living at home at the time. So I had a little bit of a cushion, but it's like, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not making bank, you know, at this point, it's like, I'm going, I'm living as cheaply as possible because that's all I got, you know, and you, you're expected to start paying these bills back six months after you graduate. And I went to a private four year school out of state. So that ended up being more than a hundred thousand dollars at the end of the day, Yeah, you know, and it's just like, you, there's no way we're preparing these kids to come out of college and really grab the bull by the horns. You know, it's it, like college is sold as the real deal. It's so, sold as the real world. Then you actually get out into it. And you realize, oh, no, no, no. There, there's, there's a whole new game happening out here. Oh yeah, you know. From the time that I was 18, I, I didn't go to college, so I just jumped right into it. Mm -hmm. And I had moved down to Florida. I was living on my sister's couch. She was about to have my niece. Mm -hmm. 
Um, so I was 18. I was working at Flanagan's Seafood Bar and Grill as a waiter. I was mm-hmm. a terrible waiter. Horrible. They, they only had me on the lunch shift and I was still bad. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I got experience playing in my first band, you know, like my first band post high school. Mm-hmm. Which was a big moment because the drummer for the band, it was my my friend Amir Roth. He uh, he was twenty nine, mm-hmm. so he had seen and done it all. Yeah. At this point, I was still a virgin. I never mm-hmm. smoked weed. I never drank. Never did anything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it, it's just funny to look back on that and think of the perspective that I had for the world. And some of them were right. Mm-hmm. Some of them, a few of them were right. Yeah. But. I did a bunch of cross country moves. I lived in Colorado for a year. I went to North Carolina for a few months before I moved to Nashville. Mm-hmm. So I kind of bounced all around the U.S. and I just learned. I took that opportunity as like my college. Mm-hmm. I lived in five states in five years. Right. Yeah. And I knew the whole time I'm doing music. This is what I'm doing, and it, I, I never envisioned myself doing a podcast. But this whole time, I was a huge fan of them mm-hmm. like i loved uh kevin smith and uh jason muse for their podcast jay, yeah. jay and silent bob uh-huh. yeah yeah so that was like the first real exposure that i had and eventually i stumbled upon adam carolla and i became a huge fan of him and that morphed into joe rogan love uh-huh. joe rogan yeah so i just started going down this rabbit hole and i'm like i really love the podcast thing but i didn't really feel like there was any music shows yeah because i still feel like it's an uncapped market right now as far as what music in the online thing can be we haven't really seen there's been no joe rogan of music right absolutely um and i think eventually that's going to come i think it's so important for people to have podcasts as artists Mm -hmm. to represent what it is that you do and and who you are Mm -hmm. yeah and I think I think you make another very interesting point there is you never expected to be doing this, right? Yeah. You never end up where you expect to be most of the time. You know, like you start down a path and it takes you any number of places based on the choices you make. I never expected to be living in Nashville at 34, single with no children. Like there are a lot of alternate timelines that could have taken place in my life. Yeah. You know, totally. like and it was through, it was by virtue of a bunch of life events, many of which were unpleasant, that led me to this place that I love and that I'm really able to dig into this stuff. But to, to think that, you know, coming out of college, I ever expected this to be my life. I ever expected that I was even going to start a podcast, a blog, that I was going to move outside of the Northeast. Like, no, I would have told you you were crazy. Yeah. You know, and that's just, but that's the beauty of it too. Because... You know, the unpredictability of life, like, that's what gives it its flavor. That's what gives it, I think, its its vitality, you know? Like, I'm not the type of person where I just want to check the boxes and keep up with the Joneses and white picket fence and all that stuff. No, I'm not either. And I've never been. And that's what I think over the years, like, I've realized more and more about myself is I was never going to be normal. I, I never was in school. Ask anybody I went to school with. I was never the kid that was just going to kind of mind his business and go get the office job and, you know, just do it for 40 years. Yeah. You know? I, was, I was the same way. And I, I think a big thing was just the, the knowing that I wanted to do music. Cause like by the time I had even, before I even moved to Nashville, I knew going the traditional major label route wasn't going to be for me. Right. Right. And 
I had to take a, a step back and be like, well, I, I started the Poptimist whenever I was unemployed. Mm-hmm. I didn't have a job. I impulse quit a corporate job I had uh-huh. and decided I'm going to do this Poptimist thing because mm-hmm. um, one day the name just popped in my head and I'm like, that's the perfect name for a podcast if I ever started one. And then my next thought immediately following that is I should start a podcast. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a great name, by the way. Thanks. Thanks. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, it's just that not knowing I think, I think is the, the best when you go into something blind. It's like a, like a mushroom trip. You know, you're going to find out mm-hmm. some stuff about yourself. You're going to find out some good stuff. You're going to find out some bad stuff, but you're going to see who you are. Yeah. Yeah. Which I've never done mushrooms, but I, I see what I see where you're coming yeah. from there where it's like, yeah, you, you just, you just don't know. You don't even know what you're aiming for. Like I'm, I'm, I'm planning on writing a book at some point called, completely by accident, how I stumbled into the music industry. Cause that wasn't even the goal of the Quinn spin. It was just to give myself something to do. And it became about music. And I found my, I, again, I found myself just enveloped in this thing years later to where this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. As far as I'm concerned, you know, but that's the thing. Like you learn so much about yourself. You learn so much about your own resolve. You learn, you learn how much you love it through the trials you learn how dedicated you are to something through the trials because, you know, I think we've all had things that we've, yeah, in our lives that we've encountered. It's like, yeah, I'm going to stop doing this. Maybe it's not worth all the effort. For me, that was football. You know, I stopped playing at 25, you know, um, tried out for an arena team, didn't get picked. I'm like, all right, that's it. Like, I'm going to try to get paid for this. If I don't, then I had a great run from high school on, you know, but it's like at a certain point, it's like, all right, like I can leave that part behind. Was something, you know, that you just keep coming back to and that you just intrinsically wake up and do, there's no finish line. There's no like, okay, I'm going to do it for about another year. And then you just do it. Like it's just a part of who you are after a while. You just get so taken in by it, you know, and you take it in and it becomes a part of you. And at that point, it's going to go as far as you will it to go as much work as you're going to put in. You're going to see the return of that. And it might not happen right away. No, you know, it, it, it's not it going rarely to rarely right happens right away. Yeah. And if it does look at, look at any of the careers from the sixties and seventies, mm-hmm. like CCR is a prime example. Yeah. John Fogarty, he wrote all of those songs, all of those classic pieces of, Americana when mm-hmm. he was from the ages of like 19 to 22 or something like oh, yeah. that. Um, but he got completely fucked by his label mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and he wasn't able to perform any of those songs for a long time. Yeah. I mean, you you look at other meteoric rises throughout the course of history, the Beatles, when they came to the U S like a few years later, they weren't going on tour anymore because of the crazy fans that kept yeah. beating down the new kids on the block had the same thing in the late eighties, early nineties where like they had this meteoric rise and then all of a sudden, done. Yeah. Done. You know, because the in- the industry had moved on. But also, I think, like, those were young kids. I think Joey McIntyre was 12 when that group started. Those guys needed a break and to do other things and to live life a little bit as adolescents and young adults. Well, you look you look at someone like the Beatles, and they were playing in strip clubs, mm-hmm. like, eight hours a day. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So all of that work that they had put into it up front, it's mm-hmm. just like, yeah, the Beatles came and they just blew up in America and the gates yeah. opened, but it was all of those hours that they had put in right. to that previously. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, once they get over here, it's like game on. Yeah. And it's like, they were, pr- I, I, I don't know, cause I don't know Paul McCartney, but I, I get, I'm 
I'm guessing they were probably pretty taken aback by that. Like we've been playing in strip clubs for eight hours a day for years. And now all of a sudden we're the biggest thing on the planet. Like, and that's what happens. You know, I, I know Bon Jovi has a similar story where, you know, after Slippery When Wet and the New Jersey album, like they needed to get off the road. Like they were fried. It was almost the demise of the band. There's a really good documentary they did in 2008, 2009 called When We Were Beautiful. And they talk about that period where they were just like, on the road and like people were just like making the decisions for them and eventually they're like we got to stop yeah and that eventually led to john just managing the band himself and has ever since like he's been the ceo of bon jovi enterprises as it were because he gets to decide when it turns on and off and he gets to listen to his guys and be like okay we're gonna we're gonna tour for this long and he, of course, calls the shots, but then it's not like crazy, like one tour into the next, into the next. Yeah. There's more of a Sustainability. Cycle. Yeah. There's a cycle to it. And it's grueling what they do and what they've done for years. I mean, eventually Richie Sambora left anyway because he wanted to spend more time with his family as they were getting older, right? But like, it wasn't this like tour, 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 and record albums in the middle of it and then tour that album. It was like tour, album, record, release tour again you know there was more of a cycle to it the sustainability is the word and that's the thing i think if you're able to survive those rough and tumble years you know again it's it's all about lessons and it's all about what you're going to take forward well we did it this way and it it almost killed us it almost led to the demise of the band so let's try it this way let's pull back a little bit. yeah my favorite band of all time is our lady peace and they're they're canadian not a lot of people in the u.s know them which is a real shame you should um, but they, um, the 2005 album, Healthy and Paranoid Times, like they recorded it in like three different locations. They recorded 40 plus songs. They almost broke up after that. And after that was when they decided we're going to do this differently. We're going to take a little break. We're going to get into some solo stuff. Rain Maida, the singer, released a solo album. It was totally different from any of their previous work. They came back, the Burn Burn album, just the four of them in the room. It's like, we're going to do this our way. And ever since then, haven't really looked back. You know, they put out the album, they tour the album, they headline festivals in Canada, they come down here for a run of shows, take a little break, get the next thing ready. And that's the thing is like, you learn those lessons, you learn what didn't work, you learn what almost took you down. And then you're like, okay, how can we make this better and more sustainable over time? I find myself having to do that. I find myself having to like, make sure I take breaks, <laughs> you know, because yeah, I it's mean, hard. It's something that I struggle with. Mm-hmm myself because again it's that go 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 nature of if you're not running then you're in last place especially today with like oh content is king let's go like you need to be on tiktok doing the carlton dance like you need to do what's ever right for you what's ever right an authentic i i i struggle using the word brand because not everyone likes the word brand but like to what your authentic self is and that self that you want to put out there, it is your brand. You know what I mean? But you need to do what's right for you in that sense, but also in the sense of, okay, checking in with yourself and what, what's going on up here. And are you okay? Like, are, do you feel like you're still in control of this situation? Well, you look at Nashville's music history and mm-hmm. some of the greatest heroes that were in this town. You look at Waylon, you look at Willie, Johnny Cash, mm-hmm. Merle Haggard. All of them fucking hated the industry, and the industry equally hated them back. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. So it's like you really just have to follow whatever your impulses are. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think most of those guys you named, like 
nearly killed themselves or did, you know, like with the work and just the grueling nature of it. You know, Johnny Cash, of course, struggled with addiction and that kind of thing. And like it was spurred on by a lot of the go, go, go nature, you know, and just trying to keep up and trying to medicate and keep going, you know, wailing the same way. Like you hear so many stories like that where like the pressure becomes so real to people and they need to find some way to cope, whether it's drugs, whether it's sex, whether whatever vice it is. And unfortunately for a lot of people, like we're human and it catches up to us. Oh yeah. And you know, I think I'm glad that there's such an increased focus, not only in the industry, but in society on mental health, because it's the part that was ignored for so long. Like you look at like all these artists, like you look at the friggin' tabloids, like you look at what Amy Winehouse. Went oh through, yeah, dude. She's, you know? she's a prime modern example of that, you know, and how much worse did the tabloid attention make it? Whereas like if, you know, somebody, if she was able to be open about her struggles and not get all this judgment from left and right in the public eye, she might still be here. Yeah. Kurt Cobain, you know, like, all these, you know, you could go down the line and like, if they just had more support and understanding and mental health was more of a topic, you know, an acceptable topic without stigma in those days. Well, one of the, the benefits of, of 2020 was one of the main topics of conversation became mental health. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And in every aspect of, of life. Mm-hmm. And I, I think it's something that's super important. You got to maintain your your mind, your body, and your spirit. Cause yeah. sometimes your mind plays tricks on you. Absolutely. Uh, you know, like, you, you know, even, even sometimes today it's like, you know, I think we all run into that, th- those, those low points where it's like, you know, does anybody actually care about what I'm doing? Does anybody actually like me or do they just like what I do? <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh yeah. Like there is, I think an inherent identity crisis with being any kind of public figure, because on one hand it's like, you know, you're, you're doing what you love and you're creating and you're, you're fulfilled in that, but it's, it's very blurry sometimes exactly where people are coming at you, like what place they're coming at you from, you know, like, do they genuinely connect with me and my message or am I just the it thing? Or are they trying to gain something right now? You know, it's, it's, and uh, as your level of celebrity increases, cause I'm not a celebrity at all, but like you get to that level, like, you know, you think of somebody like, uh, the level of fame of like Beyonce or Taylor Swift. Like I wouldn't want to be that level of famous because no. you can't leave your house. You got to send your assistants to go to the grocery store for you. You know, like people are just going to bother you left and right because they saw you on TV or they heard your song on the radio. And it's like, sometimes you're just trying to shop for toilet paper. You know what I mean? Like yeah. you need time to be a human. And that's the thing is like the celebrity culture the celebrity obsessed culture that we've cultivated in America doesn't let people, especially at that level, do that. Well, it's a lot. I think it lost its luster in 2020 a little yeah. bit. Mm-hmm. Like Michael Jackson, for instance. So this is going back, but he he had like a, a fake grocery store that he would go to mm-hmm. to shop and feel normal. You yeah, know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which is just bizarre. I think Michael Jackson was probably the most famous person that ever existed. Mm-hmm. Cause you could, I feel like you could go to a remote jungle in the Amazon and if you played thriller, they would somehow know it. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. that level of fame. Yeah. But in 2020, once that, um, that whole imagine thing happened where all those celebrities were singing imagine from mm-hmm. their mansion. Yeah. Pissed a lot of people off. They're oh like, yeah. This isn't very poor taste. You're saying, imagine there's no heaven. There's grandma's dying every other day mm-hmm. while you're in a fucking huge like Batcave, you mm-hmm. know, whatever you could possibly want. Yeah. 
Like you don't have to leave it in normal times, let alone during a pandemic. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, I think, I think that that wall was broken down quite a bit. We, we did get to see everyone's humanity for what it was, you know, but with that, you know, I mean, I, I was at the grocery store the other day and I'm seeing the tabloids and it's like, Oh, Chloe Kardashian's doing this. And oh, this person's about to get divorced. It's like, what, what do you think that does to them? What do you think? Like seeing their faces on these magazines does. Well, to them? I will say as a counterpoint, I think a lot of the people who are in those tabloids want to be in those tabloids. True. True. Yeah. But I think after a while, even that's going to catch up with you. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like you're going to really regret, you know, it's going to become a be careful what you wish for situation where it's like, okay, can this stop now? And then it doesn't stop. And then that's where they start to watch the downfall, so to speak. You know, there is something to be said for wanting to stay relevant and using that as a way to stay relevant. But I also think for everybody, or at least most people, it does have its expiration date. You know, there's this great uh, George Carlin bit where he talks about if you're born uh, in this world, you're born into the freak show. And if you're born in America, you got a front row seat. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Everything spectacle. Yeah. Everything oh, yeah. spectacle. 100%. Our, our celebrities, our politics are spectacle, which I'm not even going to touch that with a 10 foot pole any yeah. further than I just did. But it's all spectacle. It's shock and awe. It's ratings, ratings, ratings. What will get the most attention? And it's at the expense of mental health and common sense and humanity. Well, it, it's breaking our mind because we're still these beings that were living in caves genetically speaking mm-hmm. but now we have all of the information mm-hmm. in the world in our pocket absolutely at, which at any time anything you want to find out any road you want to go down mm-hmm. whether it's good or bad you can find it on the internet absolutely good bad true or completely untrue <laughs> and you know that's the thing and i mean you want to talk about these things you'll get me on a soapbox i'm holding up my phone for the listeners we weren't our, our minds aren't evolved enough to handle all this information no. at all. We've never had until what, like 2007 was the first iPhone. We've never had tools like this at our disposal in the history of humanity. All of a sudden we do. And it's this cool it thing that Apple's selling a lot of, and it's making them a lot of money. It's making, you know, Steve jobs or whoever it was at the time of fortune. And all the while, like we're just getting lost in the scroll. And then it becomes this game of how can we keep people more engaged? How can we keep people more in the web? Facebook becomes more of a public platform at the time. Twitter comes to prominence. And it's just nobody, I I don't want to say nobody stopped to think about the conse- consequences well, of it. Well, we didn't but, know there was consequences. Yeah, exactly. And now we're starting to realize through documentaries like, you know, the social dilemma and just through our own interactions with social media and how it just feels to take a break from this once in a while. Wow. You don't even realize the rabbit hole you're in until you have a chance to get pulled out of it one way or another. And that's the thing. And I hope that continues to where we continue to realize like what these tools have done to us, how they've, change the ways we interact with each other. It's very black and white, cut and dry. There's no nuance to the text in the comment thread. You know, there's no inflection. There's no, there's no conversation being had. Nuance is dead. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and that's why I, I love this format because it's like you and I are having a conversation right now Yeah, and we can tell each other's tone. We, you know, like, and it's, 
inherently more productive than just going in the comments and typing your opinion and waiting for somebody you don't even know probably to respond hatefully toward you, you know, like there's no, there's no discourse happening on these platforms. And I don't even, I don't even think most people realize that at least not until recently. Yeah. 100%. So what do you have coming up and where can people find you? Oh yeah. Music stuff. All right. <laughs> so, uh, undergroundmusiccollective.com is the central hub. You can find everything there. Um, also Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, LinkedIn platforms on all of those. Um, we have a fun and game segment actually tonight, Michelle Stone and Jenna Rose host that, which, uh, this episode comes out on Michelle's birthday. Happy birthday, Michelle. Um, that's with the Dirty Delusions. They're a band in town. That's a weekly series we do every Wednesday uh, that they've completely taken the lead on. I'm just there to produce the thing, you know, keep the keep the cameras on. Um, and then the Quinn Spin episodes every week, whether it's our interview series or Quarantimes, which will be renamed very shortly because we're all coming out of quarantine. So we need a new name for the uh, Zoom episodes we've been doing with the old crew. And then there's Live from the 615. We've got a few shows coming up there. This weekend, we have a triple bill with Holly Hamill, uh, Sally Duhon, and Fresh Lady. Uh, we have virtual and in-person tickets for that. Of course, we do those down at Helping Our Music Evolve. Then we have Beyond Here and King Locomotive on Sunday the 16th. Then an in-person show, not live, streamed at the East Room, May 27th. And that's going to be Lombardi, the sewing club, Forts Like Vanna. Lombardi, of course, was the final four band in Music City Mayhem here uh, with Lightning 100 here in town. So a lot coming up. This I, I was joking before the show, this was going to be the longest part of the show was me naming everything because there's just so much. But you can find all of that stuff on social media as much as I just completely bash social media, social media for 10 minutes. It's all there. And we try to use our platform for good. So there is a positive. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for having me. We got to have you on the Quinn Spin, by the yeah, way. Yeah, I would love to. We will be back next week. This podcast is produced to you by Taylor Miller.